Welcome to Love Talk. Love Talk for everyday people. I am your host, Tracy J. Hines. With me, I have Leslie Lee. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Tracy. How are you? I am doing well. And Terry Saleh. Hey, Terry. Hi, Tracy. How are you? I am well. I'm glad it's Sunday. I'm glad I'm home, relaxing. I spent some time at the beach today, which was fabulous. What about you, ladies? What's going on with you? I just came back from shopping. I was telling Terry, I was telling Tracy that it, um, I went shopping with my friend Chris, and I bought a dress for my cousin's wedding, her son's wedding, and I found out that it's a daytime wedding, and my dress is more like for night. So he's like, okay, we're taking it back to the store, and you're going to repurpose something that's in your closet. I'm like, you know what? I didn't want to hear that, but sometimes you need a friend like that in your life. <laughs> yeah. Me and Terry would be no good with that because we would be making you buy it. We'd be like, no, 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 keep that and just get something else in your closet. <laughs> exactly. Another occasion will come. He told me to repurpose. I'm like, okay, I'm taking it back. Yeah, oh, I just got back from the uh, Washington Wizards game. So basketball season is about to begin. This is oh, how was it? It was good? It was, you, know, you know, they played Cleveland, but none of the starters were there. You, um, All of the starters, LeBron and all the other people, they they weren't playing tonight because it's a preseason game. So we'll get to see them. So they're resting. The they don't want them to get hurt. They're resting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That would kind of annoy me. but um... <laughs> Yeah, you know, this is not, you know, the game to go see the stars. This is just if you're a basketball lover, you know. So me and my husband, we like to go go to as many games as possible during the season. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. So uh, this week I thought we would talk about, you know, we're always talking about what's going on in my life and, and my single life and, and my dating life and all that. I thought this week we would talk about marriages. So um, I'm hoping that uh, we can get some insight on marriage and I can just sit back and listen. So the day, if it comes, that I do get married again, you know, I'll have some, some insight from you two ladies because you both have been married for ever, as far as I'm concerned. And then I have a guest that I'm expecting on today who is a uh, relationship coach, if you will. So she's going to tell us a little bit about what is taught in a coaching environment for, for marriages and relationships. But, Leslie, if I had to ask you to give me one sentence, if you can, to sum up what it takes to keep a marriage. What are you on, 28 years? 30. 30. You're 30 years. Terry's at 28. Mm-hmm. If I had to ask you to give me one sentence that sums up, um, what it keep what it takes to keep you in for thirty years, what would that be? Uh, my one sentence would be is that marriage is ever changing. It takes a lot of work and just like I need to go find a repurposed dress for this wedding, you gotta find a repurposed reason to be married. All the time. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And Terry, same question posed to you. Um, you know, it's a commitment. So I hope that everybody that gets into the marriage commitment plans to stay in it because it's real easy to just, you know, decide when times get rough to walk away. So just be in it for the long haul. It's a commitment. It's a long-term commitment. Right. Okay. Yep. 
I just, you know, a lot of people, when they think of marriage, like, oh, you've been married for 30 years. Yeah, it, it, well, 30 years is a long time. Some people don't even live that long. And it was it's a lot of work. It's, and when I say work, it's not something that's a toil and trouble task every day. But mentally, it's a lot of work. Physically, it could be daunting sometimes. But then in the end, I feel like I'm having a good time, so that's all that matters. As long as I'm happy, that's all that matters. So definitely the good outweighs the bad in your in your case, or else you wouldn't be at it for 30 years, you know. you you got to have some some good times, or you wouldn't be at it. So, Well, like Terry we discovered last season, I'm an arguer, I'm a fighter. I haven't let that go yet. So any day we could be just as happy as we want to be, and tomorrow might cuss you out. That's how it works. Yeah, it's it's a day-by-day scenario, Tracy. It is not always fun and games. Well, you know, if you look at, you know, what what society puts out, they would lead you to believe that, you know, marriage is this – is this wonderful thing that it's perfect every day. And some people even, you know, when you go through people's news feeds on Facebook, not to say that your business should be out there, but some people will have you to believe that marriage is perfect and there is no strife, there's no ups, there's no downs, everything is lovely. So it's nice that you ladies are giving it real, you know, giving it a real topic, that it's not easy. And Leslie, like you said, sometimes you're going to curse somebody out. But you're committed to the relationship, so you're not walking away just because, you know, he told you to do something that you didn't want or vice versa. Oh, I'm definitely committed. I mean, 30 years I'm committed. But I think that what people need to understand when they get married is that they need to check themselves in the behavior because it's so easy. It's more easier to point out what somebody else has done wrong, but you have to realize how you've contributed to that wrong situation. I don't think people like looking in the mirror. Go ahead, Terry. No, I was going to say it's funny because just today our pastor, one of the pastors at our church was talking about the five things that a man needs um, from his wife. So it was just, kind of interesting that you just decided to talk about this today because, you know, there was a lot of discussion. This is um, a second part series. The first part was last week, and it was what a um, a wife needs from her husband, and this week is what a husband needs from his wife. And, um, you know, the number one thing was he needs sexual fulfillment. That's no surprise to anybody, I don't think, on this phone call. Um, No, no surprise. It's very, um, you know, it's it's number one, I guess, um, from his perspective and I guess the majority of men. Number two was he needs admiration um, and respect. Um, This one, it took me a long time to actually figure that one out, to why it was so important, like, I just didn't get it. Um, So, yeah, I'm still working on that one, just, you know, stroking the ego, if you will. Um, That's probably something that I could do a lot better. Um, It's hard. I think it's hard for um, alpha females to do that. I do. Yeah, probably. Probably. I think it's hard. 
or if it's not on your radar. I don't even think it has to do with a personality type. If it's just not on your radar and you you haven't been doing it, you're not accustomed to stroking the ego or talking that way, I don't think it necessarily has to be a personality trait that would prevent you from doing it. It's just not on your radar. You didn't Terry, know did that give, that was a need. Did they give any examples? Because, you know, some somebody may be confused. You know, what kind of stroking of an ego is necessary? Maybe there's confusion. Well, they stroking of the ahead. ego is part of it, but it's really the admiration and, and respect, meaning, you know, when your husband does a good job at work, you know, he expects uh, when he comes home and he's talking about it at work that his uh, wife would, you know, be like, yeah, babe, that's a good job, good job, babe, and, you know, really just, you know, praising him for, you know, what he does and what he does for a living and, and just giving him all of those compliments as many as you can because they like the admiration. They definitely want respect. And so a lot of times it's even hard for a man to even hear what you're saying to him if he doesn't feel you respect him, you know. So mm-hmm. I think that's important. Um, and so, yeah. You know what's so funny? I think about the, um, Chris Rock. One time he did a stand-up, and it was too funny. He said something about, like, you know, men run around here looking for accolades for doing stuff that they're supposed to do. Like, we're supposed to have lights on in the house. That, that's, that's a given. Like, I'm not going to get pat you on the back for doing stuff that you're supposed to do. You're supposed yeah, to go and to work I think every day. It's more so if you're not the person, if his wife is not the person that's giving him the, the accolades and giving him the compliments, he's going to look somewhere else for it. And so he might find that one chick at work that's always, like, complimenting him on what he has on every day. He it's a need and it's not necessarily a want. And so if we're not fulfilling that need, he may find another person to stroke that part of his need. Okay. All right. So what what else? What else did they say? So he needs a recreational companion. So basically whatever he likes to do, if he is a football fanatic or if he's like, you know, a Giants fan or a Knicks fan or something, he, you know, it would be nice if, you know, when he goes to do whatever he likes to do recreationally, that his wife can accompany him on, you know, not all the time, but at least, you know, appreciate that that is something he likes to do recreationally. Um, So, yeah. I think you have to be very careful about that because that's his passion. And it'll come through as you being fake at some point if you don't really like to do it. Like, you can't go begrudgingly or you can't go with, like, yeah, I'm just going to support my man. You better go because you're happy to be here with your man and supporting whatever his activity is because it will come across as fake. Right, right. Um, I'm trying to remember what the last two were, Tracy. I was trying to see if I could um, remember. Uh, oh, uh, one, did I mention he needs an attractive spouse? No, you didn't he mention need, that. He so, needs yeah, what? you know, an attractive spouse. So we know that I hope by, by the time he married the person, we hope he knew that that person was an attractive spouse. But what he meant by that was, don't let yourself go. So if you were attractive and you did certain things to get the man in the beginning, you need to continue to do those things 
as part of the marriage. So if and if he likes, you know, you with long hair or if he likes you with short hair, are you willing to do what you need to do um, for your husband? So he's saying, you know, whatever is attractive to him. And, again, it's all about if you're I not. I apologize. I'm outside and the train is coming through. Okay. Um, but, again, it's all about are you doing what he likes? Are you doing what he needs? Because if you're not doing it, he will go, he'll start looking elsewhere. But, you know, when you talk about hair, I mean, I think that's kind of ridiculous, though. You know, maybe when Um, I first married you. That's an example, you know, but it's all about what what, men are visual. We know that. Right, right. But I have a question. Go ahead. If we both came to this relationship one way and we did things to keep ourselves looking a certain way, and then we fell off and we both started eating Baskin and Robbins. If he's getting fluffy and I get fluffy, I don't want to hear about it. We're both fluffy together. Don't tell me. I I definitely agree that what's good for the goose is good for the gander. It should never be one-sided. So, yeah, I, I was definitely in my feelings as I was listening to these because I wasn't there last Sunday to hear part one and hear what the husbands needed to do. But everything he was saying, I was, like, on the offensive and the defensive rather saying, well, what is he supposed to be doing while I'm, if he wants long <laughs> hair, what, what if I like somebody with a, a long beard? I, is he going to grow his beard? So right, yeah, it's, right, right. Easy, it's easy to get on the defensive and just forget that we're both supposed to be satisfying each other. It's hard. I, I know guess it's you, hard. You probably it's needed to easy. hear the other sermon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's much easier to hear what the other person is supposed to be doing for you. But when you got to sit, and he said that, he said, okay, ladies, last week, you heard everything your husband was supposed to be doing for you, and you were all loud and clapping. He said, I'm going to need you to do all that clapping and cheering today because it's your <laughs> turn. <laughs> <laughs> but of well, course, I know that marriage is not easy. Cheering. I know that marriage is not easy. My marriage did not last nearly as long as I thought it would. You know, but it wasn't for the lack of trying in my short term. You know, some people just don't stay focused, but you'll see. I, I, I saw some things that I probably would do differently if I were to get married again. But um, well, what I, would you do different? What do you think you would do What I'd do differently, um, I would give more of the attaboys, you know. Oh, baby, that's so nice. That's lovely. That That is really good. Thank you so much. I would do more of that. I would definitely yeah. do more of that because I do realize at my ripe old age now that people need that. Not just men. Women need that too, you know. So I think that goes both ways. I would definitely do more of that. And I probably would um, – I wouldn't argue as much as I did or be as uh, boisterous and kind of coming across a little craft, you know, and saying some things that I shouldn't say that hit a little below the belt. You know, I probably would do less of that. But if you had to say those things in the moment, obviously something happened that would cause you to speak like that. 
Sometimes people need to be talked to in that way because the behavior <laughs> needs to be addressed. No, seriously. I'm not going to just – I don't start off my conversation like that. I don't. I don't normally talk like that. But if we're in a situation and something happened, I'm going to say what I need to say. Yeah, I think the last one, and I can't remember what the fifth one, but it definitely had to do with our mouths and how we can sometimes ruin relationships with our mouths, you know, just... Can they ruin relationships with their actions? Yes, but I think if you cut so hard, if you cut somebody so hard with your tongue or slash them so hard with your tongue, there's no coming back for that. And if you're in this for the commitment and you're in it for the duration, I think you have to be mindful of that. Even in the heat of passion, there's ways to say we're educated women. We have vocabulary. There's ways to say things without, you know, hitting below the belt and talking about crazy stuff that you shouldn't be saying to hurt somebody because you may be hurting at that time to hurt back. You know, tit for tat doesn't work, I don't think. I don't think it works. Well, listen, two wrongs don't make it right, but it damn sure makes us even, depending on what the action is. (laughs) I don't care how much education I have. If the action warrants it, I'm going to talk in that fashion. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat and and skirt around something that was just simply wrong, simply bad, simply I know, I know after 28 years of marriage, I definitely don't say a lot of the stuff that I used to. You know, there were times when I would just let it all out and, you know, keep it real, keep it 100. I definitely, I have chilled. And I I definitely don't say I agree with you, Terry. I've tapered it, too. I don't argue about the things that I use. Like, there was times where anything that my husband said, I felt like I had to have the final word. I don't do that anymore. I get that. But when the action is that egregious, I'm not talking about every wrong thing. I'm talking about something that is detrimental to the marriage. Oh, you're getting cussed out. So leaving the toilet seat up does not warrant a cursing out. But cheating does warrant a cursing out. So I can understand yeah, where you're coming from. Definitely. I mean, it's more than Christian. Now, that is action. Somebody can already take action. <laughs> exactly. So it, it's not about, you know, being polite and saying the polite thing and, and stroking his ego. No, you did something horrible here, and you're going to know about it. And we're not going to forget about it. We might okay. forgive it, but we ain't going to forget it. We are gonna okay, keep bringing it up. We definitely, no. You can forgive, but we definitely don't forget. I think I think it's healthy anyway because you don't want to be going into the same situation um, and hurting yourself all over again. I think you need to remember um, mm. and not forget that. Um, and it takes time to build trust again when trust is broken. It takes, and I think that that is a lesson in itself. How do you build trust back? Because that is hard to bring yourself back from from a devastating situation to learn to trust again. That's a hard I don't think any two people or any two couples will, will build the trust the same way. I think that is definitely on an individual level. You know, but because it's a like foundation you say, it's hard. There's say a it again? And I think there's a foundation to it, and it is biblical, and I don't know enough to speak on it when it comes to trust because at some point it's about the God action. So it, yeah. there, there's a foundation. Now, how you get to that, yeah, it's different. It's individual. But there's a foundation that mm-hmm. people 
may need to know or follow. Like I said, I didn't go to any counseling when I was in a situation where I had to build trust. I had to learn that on my own. And did I do a good job? Probably not because, yeah, I'm going to bring it up, put it in your face when you least expect it. That's just me. Right, right. I know last season we had your husbands on talking about um, marriage and, and all of that. And I, I kind of wish we can have them back again and maybe give them an entire hour to just kind of go through some of the things that um, you guys have gone through in your relationship. Because it is really something special that when you can stay married for 30 years and 28 years. And and I think we need to talk about that more to let people know that that's a possibility, too. You know, this switching and moving around and going from person to person is not always what's best for people or for a group of people. I kind of feel like our people, our black people, we're losing some of that familyness because we're not as connected as we should be. I don't know. Do you guys well, you, feel that at all? I, but I think that this generation, the the generation after the millennials, not the millennials because they're already in there and making, making moves for themselves. The generation mm-hmm. after them, and I don't know what they're called, the babies, they're going to see life completely different than what we know. And that conventional family, mother, father, children, is going to look so different. It's not that important to some people. What's important is the love, and it doesn't matter who you're getting it from. You could be in a mother-father relationship, and it could be the worst unit ever. But if you could be in a relationship where you got two moms and it's the most loving environment you could ever create. So I think the generation after the millennials, they're not even going to hold tight to what we call this family structure. And you think the same I think thing, that's Terry? our generation. I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to say. I don't have a crystal ball. I know that I don't understand a lot of the the decisions the millennials are current millennials make in terms of relationship decisions. It, I really have no clue what the ones being born now are going to do. It's, you know, the world is constantly changing, and it, to me it's, it's so easy to get distracted these days. It's really hard to focus, which means mm-hmm. it is hard to focus on a relationship. So I don't know. I, I'm praying that, you know, things will turn around. It just seems like things are getting more and more chaotic and hectic, though. But it's That's not what I feel. I feel like things okay. are more and more chaotic and more hectic. And I feel like Pandora's if we got back to... open. Pandora's box is open, but, you know, you can close it down a little bit. If we just get back to some of the basics, the morals and principles that we came, that our parents came up and try to instill them in the next generations, I think we can change things in the community and make things a little bit nicer. If, it's, if it's, I, a better I, word. I don't think that it's, I don't think that it's as disastrous as we're speaking. I think that it's a new normal, just like with the millennials. They're not shocked at same-sex marriages. Our generation is shocked. Our parents' generations are shocked. Millennials, that's normal. It's who do you love? Who loves you? So it's the sign of the times. It's, it, it, we're not going back to June Cleaver and Ward Cleaver and the, the perfect little family anymore. That's not where we are. It's not that it's chaotic. Maybe it's just that we don't understand or, or our generation needs to, to realize that a new generation is behind us and the things that they consider normal and okay are different from what we know. 
And we just need to embrace it, huh? Is that how you're thinking? I we just that, need to I'm embrace already, it. I'm, or, I'm good. I'm good. I'd rather see a young person grow up in an environment that's loving and supportive and doesn't matter who the parents are, as opposed to mm-hmm. you have to have this mother-father relationship and, and the mother's no good and the father's no good and these kids turn out horrible. If it's a loving environment, what difference does it make who, who's raising them? Okay. Interesting. Interesting thoughts. I don't know. I'm old school, and I guess that's why my, my thoughts are like that. My old school mind says that the tradition is what kept us together, and that's what we should look for for, for future, is to keep the family I, together, you know? Keep the well, traditional you know what? family. The traditional family was very dysfunctional, and we made it look good. We came out of You find a lot of products of the traditional family. Are, are doing quite well in society nowadays. A lot of that in product some cases, of families. In, when you go to some of these school districts and you look at the children that are not that are not excelling, that are not doing what needs to be done, and you and you take a, a view of what their family life is like and where they've come from, they've had struggles. You know, coming up in different environments, and you see the struggles. You know, those are the things that I think about when I say, you know, let's get back to the tradition. You know, let's put some of that back together so that our kids are exceeding and they're doing well. They're going to college. They're graduating and they're doing big things in their life as they come into adulthood. You know, I see too many kids lost, and, and I, I, I want to know how to fix that. And somehow I think that traditional family life, that, that mother-father loving family is, is what's going to make it happen. You know, truly, Leslie, obviously a bad relationship is not going to make it happen, but how do we get that positiveness back into our society? That's what I would like to see. I'd like to know what, I mean, I shouldn't say to know. Like, I'm I'm just going to throw it out there. Like I said, that tradition of what we thought should be was dysfunctional. Not for everybody. But you hear a lot of adults that came out of that. That's why we are in the place that we are now, because you've got adults that grew up under that tradition that was just determined. I'm not raising my kids like how my parents raised me. You see it now. So there was some dysfunction in that. You see people turning away from what was traditional because they didn't like it. They didn't like to be raised a certain type of way, so they're giving their kids the license to live live and do things differently. We see that now. This is how we're starting to change, how we're starting to evolve. That's why I'm more concerned with where's the love. You see a lot of people. So, and, and, so, so what you're saying, is instead, of, instead of being more focused on, on just the marriage aspect of it, we should be focused on the love aspect of, of everything. The love, and be where's more the love? Yeah, I, I, well, you know that's what I preach. I preach love. The show is Love Talk for Everyday People. So I, I totally sign on for that. I totally sign on for more love in every way possible to make a better family life, you know. Maybe the tradition is not so perfect, but that's my preference, the tradition. Obviously, something wasn't right because people who appear to be the successful ones that you're speaking of turn their back on how they were raised. They're not raising their kids the same way that they were raised. Just like they didn't raise, just like our generation, our parents' generation didn't raise us the way they were raised. And, and, and it keeps going back. It changes. You didn't like it. 
everything. I see. I look at things now and I laugh. Like I watch the behaviors of kids, and I'm saying to myself, "Oh my God, what would that have? How would that turn out if that was my mother?" The first, the first thing that would come to mind, she's gonna beat you behind. I didn't right, beat my right. kids behinds like that. They got spankings, but after a while, it was like everything wasn't. I'm gonna beat you behind. It, you beat your own behind in some circumstances, but I didn't need to beat you because whatever you did, you had to reap the consequences behind that. So people are choosing to do things differently. Like I just see that our the millennials and the generation coming up after them are going to be looking at this like this is not even an issue for them. It's not even a discussion. It's who raised you and who loved you. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, I, very, I, very I, interesting. I, I don't think it has anything with who. It's it's how I think, um, you know, you see commercials on TV where everybody's sitting at the dinner table if they even make it to the dinner table at the same time. It's mm-hmm. on their phone, and there's no relating to each other. Everybody's so busy looking at what's on their phone as opposed to, you know, how was your day? What did you learn today? You know, that is right. me, what I'm talking about when it's getting hectic. Nobody's really right. paying attention. They're kind of just on their phone. And that's the and kind that's of stuff that I think is, is, is definitely missing. And, and going back to my thought process of the traditional marriages and, and the way we were brought up, I remember sitting down at dinner. And, and I did that for a long time bringing up my kids. You know, we sat down. Dinner was at 6 o'clock. We sat, we ate, we talked. We said what we had to say. Even now, I know we're not as connected as we used to be, but there are days that my kids are here we're sitting down, we're chatting, we're playing games, we're staying connected to each other. There's a lot of that missing. And somehow I think when parents stay together longer in a good marriage, I'm not talking about the crazy marriages where it's abuse and it's out of control, but the good marriages, I think the product of those marriages is is a benefit. And if we can kind of get back to the good marriages and getting people committed and raising children within that environment, it's a beginning to help the children that are out there for their future. You know, because those morals and principles need to be reinstilled. The kids, to me, the younger kids, they're going in a direction that I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to be the end result. You know, we came out okay. You know, we came out okay. We survived. We did well. We weren't derelicts. We didn't go to jail. We're surviving. We're taking care of our families. I want to see more of that. I feel like our children are struggling so much now. I don't know. I I guess because I'm reading a little more because I am back in school and I'm reading things. Mm-hmm. I don't think the millennials are as worried as you are. No, huh? They're constantly, no, they're constantly on their grind. You're seeing more entrepreneurs come out of that era. They are technical. That's how they communicate. That's how, Think about it. When they were born, they were in a technical, we were going through a technical um, era that they were born in some cases, depending on what year they were born, they were born knowing how to swipe on a phone. They were born knowing how to put gadgets together technically. So they, they know things that they, they were exposed to things that we were never exposed to. And they're not as worried. I think what I'm, from what I'm reading, they're more concerned with being able to communicate the way they want to because they're in a – in most cases, they're in a workplace where you've got, like, maybe three or four generations in that workplace. So you've got the older people that are older than us. They definitely 
crave and want tradition. And then you got this young group of people like, that's not as important. The important thing for them is to focus on the goal, get it accomplished, whereas the older people, the important thing is you follow my rules. I gave you rules to follow, and I want you to follow it. Where these other young people are coming in, and they're focusing on the goal, and they want to get their job done. And sometimes those right. things don't seem well, as I guess important. I'm not talking about those uh, children, Leslie. I'm talking about the ones that are lost, you know, because, you know, I work with younger people, and I, I see this young girl, and she is doing it, just like you said, her and her man. They are working on building a vegan business. They're both vegans. He's a chef, and she's a masseuse. She's been, she's trained. She's licensed, and they're working on opening their business. But when I go back into their history and I look at their life and what they've been through, both of them, these are millennials, that come out of a married parents that are still married, still together, raised them in um, principles and morals. They had chores. They had responsibilities. They had things that they had to do. So that's not the group that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the group that is lost, that's just hanging out there in the world somewhere with no focus, no structure. How does that get fixed? You know, these, these millennials that I'm looking at, they're coming from the married traditional families. That's where they're coming from. And that's how they're able to stay focused and get into the entrepreneurship and build and all of that. How do we get the ones that are lost? What's the answer for that so we don't lose anymore? I think that in every generation, there's always lost people. There's always people that didn't get it. There's always people that are going to fall by the wayside and that everybody can't be fixed. And at some point, it's an individual choice. It's, a, it's how do you choose to live your life? How do you try to improve yourself in the circumstances that were given to you? And, and in, right. some case, in some cases, everybody's not going to get caught up. I I know what you're talking about. I see it. I go. I work on a college campus. I see it. I know exactly what you're talking about. Everybody's not meant to go along for the ride. The ones that are sitting in the car, you need to pay attention. If you're in that car going for the ride, going on this journey called life, you need to take copious notes so that you know when it's your time to get out, you can do something. So everybody's not going to get fixed. There's just going to be people that just did not get it. And that's just how it's going to be. It's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, we all have a responsibility, especially, you know, we're as we all get older, I think we have a responsibility when we see somebody that's kind of um, wandering or may need some guidance, you know, maybe we just need to take them under our wing and, and be a mentor to those type of people um, because they might not have the structure at home. They may not have been taught you know, what you're supposed to be doing with your life or how to write down goals, how to have to-do lists, how to have dreams and vision and how to go after them. Um, and, and then also and then you they, don't become... have a good, they don't have a good um, model for a marriage, whether that's two married women, two married men, a man and a woman. They have to have a good model for what a, a good long-term relationship looks like um and so if they don't have that as a model if they've never seen that it's very hard to you know sustain that type of thing if you don't know what it looks like you have to have something um to go by and then you have to remember too and we all know people like this the ones that are doing well they're doing well because they work hard they're working hard at their job and sometimes they're not putting that much into their kids 
when you've got this fabulous house that you're trying to maintain and these cars, and sometimes they they are not putting into their kids like they should. They just assume their kids will get it. You see that I'm doing it, so I expect you to get it. And then it goes back to what you were saying, Terry, that connection. It's yeah, I mean, you have to show people. You can't – everybody does not learn by osmosis. You know, maybe a three-year-old, right. he remembers everything you say, and so you got to be careful around a three-year-old. But after mm-hmm. a certain point, you know, the brain is not the sponge that it is, and people actually – you have to be explicit with people, and you got to say, you know, hey, stop doing that. Don't do that. This is what you need to do instead. And you can't just assume people are just learning by just going through their normal days. It has to be um, intentional with a lot of people. Now think about where we all grew up at. We grew up in a suburb. And for the most part, it appeared that everybody came from the traditional household. How many people? You guys know I did it. But, but wait you guys a minute, know how many I did it. Right. But how many people do we know that fell by the wayside and didn't get it, and they came out of that traditional or what it appeared to be traditional home? We know a lot of people that didn't get it. And it wasn't because we grew up in the projects. We don't know nobody. I didn't grow up in the projects. Everybody that I know that didn't make it came out of that same what appeared to be traditional household, and they didn't make it. They're not making it. I was looking at my circle, not just, you know, people that I knew, my circle, you know, the people that we went to school with, the people that we were close to, not the class of 1980, whatever, but my intimate circle. And when I look at my intimate circle, those are the families that I saw, that I watched, and I see that because all of my friends' parents were still together. You know, the people that would grow up in my life, their parents stayed married. And I see how the children developed. And I I just feel like that marriage does something to those children to give them some kind of support and some kind of good good feeling so they can go out into the world and know that they're going to have the support of their parents and do better things. That's what I saw. I'm not talking about the oddballs that we grew up with, that we heard, we saw. Just your intimate circle. When you look in your intimate circle, I don't have many failures in my intimate circle. But that's that goes based on who you choose to be to be around, who you choose to hang out with. Yeah, just because you know the ones that fell by the wayside, we may be assuming that they had a traditional family unit, but who knows what was going on inside the house? Were they sitting down having dinner together every night, or was that not happening? Was the was the dad around, or was he always out of the house? when he was supposed to be there, you know, protecting and being the protector of the household. You know, um, I think there was dysfunction, Leslie, and I think the dysfunction that we didn't see behind the scenes is what produced a lot of the, the people that just didn't make it or kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I look at my father. He They grew up in a house. There were six siblings. My grandfather left. He was still a part of their life. I don't know how active he was in their life, but all six of them grew up to be productive. Now, I don't know if it was the era because they grew up in that post-depression era, and they knew what it was like to be really poor, and they didn't want to be really poor like that anymore. So I don't know if it was the era. I don't know if it was something that their mother instilled in them. But they all, all six of them grew up to be responsible adults, 
they took care of their families the best way they could. So I don't know, you know, can you say that it had to do with father not being there or the father being there? I don't know. I don't think there's a formula for that. I think that it, at some point you get some good information along the way and then you got to run with it. I guess, you know what, probably because um, I didn't grow up in that traditional lifestyle, that may be what my longing is to bring that back. You know, I see what happens when your parents are not together. I see the struggles as a young girl that I had to understand, you know, why did my dad and my mom separate? Was it because of something that I did? Was there love lacking? Did my father not love me? You know, I look at my oldest brother and I see his struggles and I wonder if my parents had stayed together, would that have worked a little better? So maybe it's just a perspective from where I've come from. You know, I personally think I did well. I, I survived. I did. I excelled. I took care of my children. They're doing well. But I don't know, somewhere deep inside, I just think that if we had a, a closer-knit family and my parents stayed married, I think that my brother may have been a lot more successful in his life, you know, having dad around every day on him, you know, helping. Because it's hard for a woman to raise a man. It really is. I know from experience. Yeah, I definitely think um, that when the father is in the home, especially when they're male children, is definitely a benefit to having him around. And you just see it in a lot of the um, struggling um, communities where the dad is never there. And it affects people. And it affects women, too. Um, It does. We talk about, um, you know, the, the, the boy child needing the dad, but there are lots of women that have huge relationship issues because they have, missing daddy issues. The daddy was never around, and so they didn't know what it looked like to get um, affection from a man in a loving way, a caring way, a caring way or a, pro- a protective way. And so right. they have huge daddy issues when it comes to relationships because the dad was not around. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Things are changing. And it's, it's not necessarily a mom and a dad anymore. But I do think that if there is a mom and dad that produces a child and they marry, there's definitely value in both of them being there and helping raise that child. The probability of them having a healthy life is definitely higher than if one person alone is raising that. And I think that's what people have appreciated about marriage in the past, the fact that that marriage unit um, could raise the the probability of somebody being a healthy, productive member of society. Agreed. And and that's what that's, you you worded that perfectly, Terry. That's exactly what my thoughts and feelings are. And um, hence the reason I wanted to talk about marriage. (laughs) I definitely agree that it's beneficial for mm-hmm. uh, for an individual to grow up in a circumstance where they can see adults performing and doing things in a productive manner. I go back on people that I've learned to know in my past, and I remember many years ago I used to go to I used to work at a, a job where I met this young lady, and by all reasons, all circumstances, her life 
is a statistic. She should have been a statistic. Her mother had her when she was 13 years old. This young lady was in her early 20s. She was married. She was working on getting her master's degree. And I was just so impressed because in my mind, and I even said it to her, I said, you know, statistically, you're not supposed to be making this. Right, right, right. Based on statistics, the fact that your mother was 13 years old. So I don't know what her mother did at the age of 13. I'm not sure who was the influence in their life. I'm sure that there was family that was there for them, but that was definitely not the traditional family. And that young lady, I wish I could even remember her name. I wish I could see her to this day just to see how much her life has probably changed since the last time I saw her. She was working on a master's degree, married, and for all intense purposes, she was successful. But she didn't Mm -hmm. come from that. She right. didn't come from that. So where did that yeah, come I think, from? I think people, there are definitely people that succeed in spite of it. You know, there are people that lost their parents at an early age, and in spite of the fact that they didn't have a two-unit household, a mom and dad in the house, or they may have been, you know, raised by a grandmother. You know, we have lots of people that are raised by grandparents in our community. Or even mentors people, that were available to them. Right. Some people mm-hmm. succeed in spite of that. You know, they, they use that to kind of drive them the rest of their life, but then, you know, who's to say how much more successful that young lady would be had she had both people in her life, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, she's super right. successful, but she could, she could be like, you know, 200% more. Um, who, who's to say that? We'll never know. Right. And, and then I, you, I look at, like, my husband and I, we do things differently than his siblings. They all came out of the same household. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to even elaborate what different is. Yeah, that, that is like a whole, that's a whole dis- hour-long discussion in and of itself, how people <laughs> Yeah, that, it is. Okay. You know, because you can look at my brother and I, and we're completely opposite people, and we came right. up in the same yeah. environment. So that's yeah, a whole other topic. that all day, yeah, because I, I, I experience that almost on a daily basis. Like, you were raised by the same parents. How did that happen? <laughs> right. Exactly. So it, 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 it's an individual thing. It's an individual thing. Oprah Winfrey didn't come from a traditional household. How much more? But, you know, I think Oprah, Oprah had some things that motivated her to excel forward. You know, I think at an yeah. early age. That's the individual thing that I'm speaking of. Right. It's, it's, an individ- individual it's, it's definitely thing. an individual. At an early age, she realized, you know, if I don't turn this mess around, I'm going to wind up pregnant with kids, hundreds of them, and just being abused for the rest of my life. So she focused on doing something different. She she took that difference that she was exposed to, and she worked on doing it even more different so that she can excel. You know, I think she's a rare case. You, you don't see many like that. I don't yeah, think she's as rare as you think. Yeah, some what? people, like I said, that drives them. You know, the fact that they got abandoned by their dad um, when they're, you know, when they were eight years old. They they will never um, get over that, and so everything they do in their life is to never be abandoned again, to never get that right. feeling again, to never be poor again. I'll never be in this situation again. So it drives right. them. Those people right. like over 
overproductive. They're like hyper productive. They just do everything as they will never ever productivity on steroids, if you will. Or they're just normal. Like I said, they may not achieve Oprah Winfrey success, but I look at like most of my parents, their siblings, they came out of that either depression era because they were either born before the depression or afterwards. And all of them appear to be successful in their own right because they never wanted to experience that poverty again. And I think that's their generation. They experienced something that we could never even speak about. So it's a it's an individual thing, it's a generational thing, but I don't think it's tied to just that having that traditional mother and father in the house. It's tied to who raised you, who loved you, what good things did they put into you, and when it's your turn to to run with it, what are you going to do with it? All right, ladies. Yeah, so this I, last like ten I minutes. Said, I know there, you know the 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 mother and father thing. You know that is traditional. What I, I guess I'm trying to say is. When it is a mom and dad that produce a child, it is definitely always better when they raise that child together. There's Why? The probability Why is it always person, better? The probability of that person becoming a healthy, having a healthy, productive outview on life, outlook on life, I'm not talking about the mom and mom relationships. I'm not talking about the dad and dad relationships. We know um, love can happen. I'm saying when a mom and dad raise a child together, the probability of that person having a healthy life, and, and, and I'm saying, Leslie, in a loving environment, I'm not saying they're, you know, the mom and dad are there and they're just abusing the child. The probability of, of them having a, um, a healthy, productive life, I think, goes way up when the mom and the dad choose to be involved in their life. I don't I have the statistics, the statistics in front of me, but the statistics do say that. That's what's said. How That's what's said. Show it to me because this, the statistics are going to have to change. You're going to have to show it to me. Because well, we know it's changing because we have more and more same-sex. We, we, we know it's changing. We have more and more same-sex relationships and same-sex couples choosing to raise kids. We know that's changing. Um, will, they, that's um, will they provide the same type of um, environment and encouraging environment, loving environment that's needed to produce a healthy person? The assumption is yes, you know, at least they're going to give it a shot. They're definitely going to try it. Right. Um, and that's what that's the key, you know. Do you really want this person that you're raising, um, do you want that person to be a healthy individual? So we got to, you know, it comes down to love. You know, we got to love him. We got to make sacrifices for him. We got to spend time with him the way we would do with anything else. We got to make that a priority. Make it a priority. Hey, ladies, let, let, let's take these last. Let's take these last ten minutes and, and go back to focusing on um, the marriage in, in and of itself and the relationship that the man and the woman, like you two, are in. So I want to pose a question to both of you, and and either one of you can answer this question. You know, you're in a marriage, and Terry, as you mentioned, the man needs to be satisfied sexually. So what is the woman's responsibility when she's just not in the mood? What does she do? How does she say it so that it doesn't, you know, put a damper or, 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 or make the relationship uncomfortable for the moment? How does she just say, no, baby, I know you're down, but I'm not, and I'm not doing this tonight? 
How does that work out? Uh, Leslie, do you want to take a stab at that one? I can. I say be honest. I'm not going to lie. I'm not feeling it. Be honest. Are you being honest after 30 years, or were you being honest initially? Or in the beginning, were you, like, going with the flow because this is your man and you know you loved him and you're not into it, but he's into it? So where does that that take place with the be honest? Is it you do it from the very beginning, or is it after 30 years and you know that this is what's going to be and he's okay with that? I mean, it's that growth. Everything... You have to be honest up front. I mean, you got to be honest day one. You got to be yourself. Because and it's a I've timing learned, thing. It's going to always yeah. be off. Yeah, I've learned after 28 years, if you try and, and suppress feelings, if you try and be who you're not, it's all just going to come out later. And, you know, resentment, frustration, and all those things happen. So, But, you know, it takes a long time uh, to get there. You know, we all are evolving people, and we think we know ourselves, but we really don't. And so sometimes it takes being put in certain situations and doing it the wrong way, like pretending or acting like I want it when I really don't, you know, and then you get bad consequences, and, and then you realize, you know what, I just need to be honest. So I'm, I'm with mm-hmm. Leslie, to be honest, you need to say. But at the same time, you got to figure out a way since it is a uh, number one need and desire of your husband, you got to figure out a way to make it up to him. So if you're not going to do it that time, you better figure out a way to make accommodations or make an appointment, if you will, or make a date later. Because, you know, you can't just keep doing that. No, you can't keep doing that. But I think All right. That- um, what about this? You know, I hear lots of times that women sometimes say to their man, you know, well, you're not doing this and you're not doing that, so I'm not having sex with you. They use sex as a weapon to, to, to get what they want or get the actions or reactions that they need. Do either of you promote that? No, that's immaturity. No. no. That, I, it's, not, it's not healthy. It's not. It's, it's, I mean, that's, it's, hard, that's to, it's hard to get into a person if you're mad at them. Um, just like it's hard for a man to be into a woman if he doesn't feel she respects him. I think it goes both ways. Um, I'd like to hear if a man would still have sex with a woman if she, if he thought she didn't respect him at all. Would he still have a desire for her? I'm not talking about in a physical way, but emotionally in his head, would he still want that woman if he knew that she had no respect for him at all? It's the same for a woman. If I'm mad, if I don't feel like as a um, husband you're taking care of me, I'm not interested in um, doing anything for you sexually. I I think we both have to be meeting each other's needs in order for the sexual, sexual part to work out. I think that what people need to focus on is real good, solid communication. Because if we're communicating well, you know I don't feel up to it. Or you know certain things that will trigger that passion that I'm looking for because we communicate. And that comes over Mm -hmm. time. You learn people over time. You may be able to figure it out early on, but there's there's no gameplay that's going to make this relationship work any easier or better. There's no 
if I hold out on sex, he's going to act better this way. That doesn't work. It, it, you're not, first of all, you need to be authentic. You need to show up every day in that relationship and be your authentic self. So if you're pretending or if you're playing the role like, oh, I'm not going to do these things because he's mad at me, is that your authentic self? Are you really showing up as who you are? Or are you playing this game because you're trying to get something or you, or you want to change a situation that for that given moment in that point in time, that's what your situation is? Okay. If he's not helping out around the house, he's not helping around the house. That's your situation. Okay. So Are you holding up you... sex because of that? Okay. What did you say? I was going to ask another question. Go ahead. Go ahead, Leslie. I don't think Terry heard you. No, I said if, if he doesn't help out around the house, then your way, your solution to to hold out on sex, that to me doesn't make any sense that's not going to change him from helping around the house. Like you're having a discussion, like, listen, I work just like you work, and I'm going to need da-da-da-da-da done. Maybe maybe more of a discussion needs to be had to get him to help around the house. He's not right. equating sex with I didn't wash the dishes. He's not making that equation. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. So do we, both of you sign on to this um, thought process where um, – you don't go to bed angry? I think we had this discussion last year. I go to bed angry, depending on what the circumstances are. Yeah, That's I've, me. I've gone to bed angry several times. Um, I, you know, I would like to say that I've never gone to bed angry, but in 28 years, I've definitely gone to bed angry several times. Okay. It's All right. Nice if we can work it out and come to a happy ending before we close our eyes and go to sleep. Doesn't mean I don't love you. Means I'm still a little mad. Good night. Right. Good night. Right. I still love you, but I'm mad. Well, this has been enlightening. Um, our guest wasn't able to make it this evening. She had a scheduling conflict. So um, hopefully we'll get her on another time. Any closing words, Leslie or Terry, on marriage? Um, the only thing that I can say is that if you choose to get married, whether it's a homosexual, heterosexual, whatever relationship it is, know that you have to work at it. Nothing comes easy. Nothing is to be assumed. Don't assume that somebody knows what you like. You may want to tell them what it is that you like, how you like it, when you like it. Other than that, people will never figure it out. Don't expect them to figure it out. Don't penalize them because they didn't figure it out. Tell them. And then they don't do it to penalize. (laughs) I would just add is Do not think people can read your mind. Express your feelings. You have a right to your feelings. Nobody should ever tell you that you don't have a right to feel the way you feel. So be confident enough to express your feelings. Don't Don't assume that people can read your mind. Be assertive, communicate, and um, always think of it in the long term. If you think in the long term that I... I want to be with this person long-term, you can probably endure all of the little short-term bumps that are definitely going to come your way. Okay. Well, thank you, ladies. It was great talking to you this evening. This is Love Talk, Love Talk for Everyday People. We are on every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. Thank you for listening. Have a good night.